It is a center for higher learning. It is a place with centuries of secrets in its shadowed halls. This is where you have come to learn the mysteries of the cosmos. Welcome to the Miskatonic University Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Miskatonic University Podcast, Episode 61. This is the podcast dedicated to Call of Cthulhu and other horror and Lovecraft-related role-playing games. I'm Keeper Dan. And I'm Keeper Chad. Welcome, everybody. And I'm Keeper John. In this episode, it's another visit to the bestiary to examine the inscrutable, almost humans of capricious highlands. And for the main topic, we're going to get all medieval on your ass. We're going to start things off with the Campus Crier. Miskatonic University Campus Crier. Campus Crier's Miskatonic U student paper. We're just going to go through feedback and news. This crier is recorded on July 27th, 2014. First off, got a couple updates from our Indiegogo campaign. The Rillia Tower from Joe Brewers has shipped. A lot of people are already coming up saying that they have been receiving theirs and there's some pictures on the forum and so you know if you get yours in feel free to share there it's a beautiful piece it really is oh my gosh yeah yeah i'm very happy with that i love the bronze that he did on there Mm -hmm. nice finish yeah and what i did is i sent the dice to joe and um to Crypticurium, so that way if you're getting items from either of them, your dice will be arriving with the item. You know, if you get both items, then it'll come with the tower. But then the folks that were just at the senior level, that the dice will be separate, those I'll be mailing out as separate packages. Very cool. Yeah, I've got the dice too, and they, they look great. The yeah. really, really sharp detail on getting our logo on that uh, one face. So that looks yeah, awesome. I was impressed. Yeah. 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 I'm real happy how those came out. And I like the bizarre sort of green purple color. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I was happy whenever I saw that they had the, at Chessex. It's a, uh, a very nice color option for us. Yep. And wanted to officially announce that the alumni dinner did not get enough backers. So we will not be having the, the uh, reserved room, but we are still going to be at the RAM at the appointed time. So Thursday evening, 4 p.m., we're still going to be there. It just won't be with the reserved room. Yeah, and, um, you know, I'll share uh, on the forum soon enough. I'll share my cell phone number. So if anybody wants to uh, text me and uh, and say, hey, you know, I'm coming to the RAM or, you know, save me a seat or something like that. No problem. Just let us know. Basically, the difference is instead of us arriving at the RAM and talking to the hostess and saying, you know, we're uh, MUP and we have a reserved room. Instead, it'll just be general seating. We're going to walk up to the hostess and say, hi, we need a table for X number of people. 
and and yeah. that'll be it. And, and so it'll just be based on you know available seating on when we actually get seated. So which is fine, you know that's cool. Mm-hmm. It's not like we're going to be recording this or anything. It was just whether we would have a um, uh, a semi private area to to chit chat with each other. So now it'll just be yeah. general, which is fine. Yeah. So the uh, thread that's on the forums about the dinner. We're going to kind of convert that into a, hey, do you plan to show up or not thing? So that way we can have a rough estimate on the number of people to tell them when we show up. So okay. now and then, if you think you're going to show up, post it on the forums. Or if it winds up cutting closer into the actual thing, then feel free to uh, send a text message. I also plan on setting something up with maybe a uh, Twitter feed or something like that for the con. So we can all coordinate better. Okay. Yeah, it'll be in that thread that I'll update my uh, cell phone so people can text me also if they want. Sounds good. And there is a thread that Ian McLean put up on the forum where he's kind of sharing some of his uh, latest artwork. And this is where he has been updating his progress on the Cthulhu desktop wallpaper that he's been doing and this is coming out so cool oh, yeah, i love gosh. a sketch there that's <laughs> unreal yeah. Oh, yeah yeah i'm really glad that we have this going with him because that is just a great picture of it and i assume the the four figures are us is that what is that what i'm seeing here <laughs> i have no idea if that's i just figured that was just sailors from the ship the one, the one facing, looking into the eyes of Cthulhu, looks a little bit like Murph. I see a beard. So <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me if he did that. <laughs> oh, this is just wicked. You know, whenever it's done, it'll be a much larger image, so we'll be able to see those kind of details. That would actually be pretty great if that was intended to be us. Mm-hmm. There's one, uh, right, there's a fifth down there, too. Yeah, or, I just noticed him, yeah. So anyway, I see, this is I see for, two. Oh, I guess there is a fifth in the lower left-hand corner. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe these are just sailors. That's fine. So for for listeners, yeah, the images of uh, Cthulhu eating humans like popcorn. <laughs> yep. <laughs> One die six investigators per round. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, this is the wake-up scene in the actual story with the sailors all around, and they kind right. of bumblingly open the door to the sleeping chamber and Cthulhu kind of woke up and popped out and well, said good morning in, in uh, a uh, sloppy, uh. crunchy way. Next up uh, from Sentinel Hill Press, uh, there's a preview uh, coming out of Graveyards of Lovecraft Country, which is a forthcoming resource book by Brett Kramer. And uh, the layout on this is done by Scriven. Uh, MUP regular. Yeah. And art by Galen Pigeot, who did some stuff for the last Arkham Gazette. And, uh, yeah. So that, that's looking nice. And it's, uh, it covers a setting that, uh, Brett and, um, uh, Keith Herber worked out together a while ago before he passed away and, uh, an island, um, kind of off the coast of Kingsport. And, oh, cool. And so he's covering the graveyard in it, but it also helps to flesh out that setting a little bit. And he tells a nice story about his exchanges with 
uh, Keith, uh, Doc on that. So, oh, great. Yeah. So it's a pretty cool article and it's a preview of, of a project Brett's working on. Oh, that's cool. I can't wait for that. Yeah. And have you guys seen the, uh, the little short, they're, they're calling it a short Lovecraftian style short film called Black Sugar. I have. Yeah. Oh, so good. Not yet. It is so good. And it only runs like 10, 12 minutes long. Um, but it is, it is one of the most Lovecraftian films I think I've ever seen. I mean, it's so cool and, and depicts the creepy, uh, mythos, you know, elements, uh, amazingly. And in such a short period of time and, and it just, it just pops. I mean, it's so cool. I don't want to give anything away, but I guess this was something that, uh, maybe, I have no idea. I mean, uh, cause the, the, the way I keep seeing it is that it's available for free to see now. So I'm, I'm guessing at some point you had to be a subscriber or something that's to some website to see it. But now I've seen it both on Facebook and on uh, Google plus, uh, links from different folks like uh, Lovecraft Ezine has been providing links to, uh, to see this uh, short film for free. Yeah. Just stop. If you've got the ability to, to find the link, uh, stop listening, watch that movie and come back because it is so, so good. Yeah, it's a nice little, little dark piece. And the director on that was Hank Friedman and the writer is Scott Yakshin. Uh, just to get their names out there. And okay. it's worth a watch. It's short, but super short and, and it doesn't, it's, there's no happy ending. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> And Chad, I guess you've got a uh, a new project coming up soon. Yeah, well, I wanted to just announce that it's something I've been working on for quite a while that we're going to play test at Gen Con. Uh, it's a game called Pelicoy Typhoon Atoll, um, and it's a setting that kind of evokes folklore and fables of the Pacific Islands in Southeast Asia. Um, so players are sort of mortal mythic heroes in a world of sort of primeval animist spirits and monsters. So you fight monsters and elemental forces with stone and bone weapons. Um, you explore lost islands while seafaring on outrigger canoes, that kind of Southeast Asian thing. And, um, and then you sort of build your home island, uh, your home village, uh, with defenses and and steal secrets from the gods to make life easier and that kind of thing. So it uses Savage Worlds, um, but we put a storytelling twist on the magic system, and that's what we're kind of testing this round. Um, so we're, to cast a spell, you have to draw on animus spirits, so, you know, rock spirits and lava spirits and whatever is available. And we do that. You have a deck of cards, and you get three cards, and you it, to cast like your magic missile or whatever, you have to tell a story about how those rock spirits are involved in your um, in your casting. So it's kind of like Miyazaki's Spirited Away meets Sid, Me- Sid Meier's Civilization, the video game. Huh. Um, so, yeah, I'm okay. pretty excited about it. Galen Pigeot is the artist on this. He's a he's a friend of mine and, and he's now sort of doing stuff for Brett. Um, and uh, it's at the first exposure playtest hall. We're going to do two hour sessions. Uh, it's free. So if you want to catch me Friday or Saturday morning from eight to 10, eight in the morning, uh, till 10, 
that's where I'll be. And then Saturday afternoon from one to three. And it's right near the registration area. And uh, if you don't have time to sit in, you can just stop by and see some of the artwork by Galen to to check it out. So you're just doing a single two hour session uh, yeah, it's each cr- morning. And, and uh, is the play test the full two hours or? Yeah, yeah. It's a it's sort of like an encounters. I mean, I hate to compare it to the D&D encounters, but it's kind of like that where we're going to be basically like a little tiny bit of role play. And then we get into how combat in this weird magic system works. Uh-huh. Um so, yeah, it's just a two hours of role play. Um, the way it works at the first exposure thing is you, you, you show up and you kind of sign up for, there'll be a board and you sign up for whatever you want. So there's a bunch of different stuff. If you want to come by and check it out and you don't <laughs> come to our play test, um, that's okay. We still love you. Um, <laughs> but there's a lot of options there. So you can come and check it out for just little, uh, tastes of things to play test. Very yeah, cool. I remember seeing that last year, but I didn't go in because I had so much other stuff I was trying to see. Sure. This year, yeah. I'll make a point of going in and looking around a bit and at least see what, uh, how's that pronounced? Pelicoi? Yeah, Pelicoi. P-E-L-L-I-K-O-I is Pelicoi. That's a proper name. And typhoon, oh. t- typhoon Atoll is the yeah. subtitle. So not now, so I'll see what it generally looks like. Savage Worlds is another one of those systems I have yet to be able to wrap my brain around properly. Mm. I, me too. And <laughs> I mean, and here I am running it a bit. Yeah. No, but actually, um, no, I'm getting it now. We've done some training sessions and with, with, uh, Galen, this is really Galen's world and I'm doing the writing for, for the game. Um, but, uh, but the magic system was my, t- partly my twist. I wanted something other than spell lists. I'm not, I'm not very fond of spell catalogs as a magic system. So I wanted to twist it and make it a little more folklore. Yeah. yeah. Well, that also adds a lot of flexibility for improvisation on the moment. Yeah. That's what I want. Uh, I want yeah. magic to be a little more fanciful and magical, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of how Dresden works. Okay. Just kind of make stuff up on the fly and using various, you know, general principles of the rules. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think we're probably going to do it for fate as well. Um, Yeah. Because it it's a good fit. Yep. Yep. And it's open source. Yeah. Exactly. Right on. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, if you don't, if you didn't get into other sessions, you can go to this first exposure thing and do some free role playing. you never know what you're going to end up with, but there's little descriptions of various things that people are playtesting. A lot of them are indie games, so they're they're not going to be necessarily traditional yeah. battle map kind of thing. Some of them are. Ours is. We will have a battle map. It's sort of between storytelling and traditional. So. Okay. And we, the Ennies voting is open until July 30th, which as of recording is three days away. Yep. So... You know, we also put a thing out over our uh, general social media feed and end up on the forums. Um, we There are a bunch of Lovecraftian-related things in there. One of them being, for best free product, is Chaosium's Call of Cthulhu 7th Edition Quick Start. Yes. Yeah. I uh, I already did my voting. It took, you know, it takes about five, ten minutes, but... Yeah, um, yeah, I did all my yeah, voting. Going through all the lists and reading everything, and then there's also a long list of 
you know, rating your favorite companies. So don't forget Chaosium in there. Don't forget uh, uh, Golden Goblin in there. Definitely show mm-hmm. Oscar some love. Yep. You know, there's Modifius, there's Pelgrain, there's there's a lot of the companies that... Yep, Goodman, Goodman Games, Games, please give it a nod there. You know, all those companies that help provide us with Lovecraftian Cthulhu goodness. Absolutely. Links are going to be in the show notes. So do your what? part. Go out and vote. Yes. So what's this World War Cthulhu free PDF? I haven't actually looked at oh. it. I believe that is a uh, adventure. Oh, cool. Uh, Angel of the Abyss. I believe that is a uh, scenario that uh, uh, Cubicle 7 is putting out uh, for free so that people can uh, get a chance to, to get a taste of what the World War Cthulhu, um, and this is from the Europe Ablaze book, mm-hmm. I believe. This is a, a, a scenario that you can play. So this is straight from the uh, Europe Ablaze book. Okay. Yeah, that's a good idea to release something that way people can see what they can expect from it. So, excellent. Mm-hmm. Free scenario! Yay! Yeah, we always love free stuff. Oh, yeah. Chaosium has put out a full non-monograph, uh, full-color version of Ripples from Carcosa, uh, the Oscar Rios, formerly monograph. And so that is now available to buy. It's uh, running at about 11 bucks, And uh, it's got three scenarios exploring Hastor, Carcosa, Carcosa and The King in Yellow. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's, so it's kind of yep. an expanded revision. Yeah, yep. From monograph to full book. Well, great. Exactly. Yeah, it looks like right now it's only available as a PDF, but I'm hoping that they uh, do a print of this. I, I would like, this is something I would want in print. Currently, it's just PDF. I, I've been checking. Oh, you have? Okay. okay. Yeah, I've been checking. And uh, right now, the catalog only has it available as PDF. If you want a print edition, you could get the older monograph. Uh, but I do, I, I love the cover art on mm. this new uh, Ripples from Caracosa um, cover. Um, and I believe, I thought, I'll have to double check. I thought the uh, scenarios in this book are actually done from different time periods. Uh, the three different scenarios, I think they're, they're uh, like Dark Ages, Invictus, and uh, and um, Cthulhu Rising in the future. I think that's where these uh, three scenarios uh, come from, or the the types of settings. And and that's just I'm just generalizing it by calling it that. It, I uh, I read a review. Uh, actually, um, Die Hard Game Fan just did a a review of uh, Ripples of Carcosa, and, uh, and it's a great review. And he talked about how. The scenarios are in those different time periods. You might think you need to have those books, you know, have a, a Cthulhu Dark Ages book or Cthulhu Invictus or the, uh, the monograph for Cthulhu Rising, uh, which is the far future, but you don't. Uh, the, the Ripples from Carcosa book provides everything you need to, uh, to run a scenario, uh, to run each of the scenarios in their uh, appropriate time periods. So it's good to go. Awesome. And we got word from Oscar Rios that Tales of the Crescent City is now shipping. Awesome! Yeah. Yep. His face. His Facebook is showing all his uh his living room just stacked full of boxes up up to the ceiling. Yeah. And uh, Tom Lynch from Miskatonic River Press uh stopped by and helped him pack. <laughs> it's kind of a funny some uh, some funny photos there, but yeah, they're out the door. Yay! Congratulations, Oscar. 
Get another one out the door. That is awesome. Yeah, that's going to be a great book. And remember, before we did the thing where we had a copy of the intro for the podcast done in Japanese, and we've had a couple of other members on the forum uh, jump in and record it in other languages and wanted to play those. We've had a few others that came in saying that, yeah, I'll do one, and no, those haven't been done yet, but that's okay. You know, take your time, guys, and uh, put those together. First off, here is what it sounds like in Swedish from uh, Magnus Nordlander. Det centrum för högre utbildning. Det är en plats med århundraden av hemligheter i dess mörka korridorer. Det är hit du har kommit för att lära dig universums mysterium. Välkommen till Miskatonic universitetets poddradio. De lär dig saker du inte kan förtränga. that that's great <laughs> i love hearing our intro in these different languages it is just so cool yeah that last line sounds super sinister in swedish <laughs> uh and then we got another one from shimon beg shane darden sakatan to följacht in the hesh and like in his sons the halakhan skerk show and Shimon had was uh, had a thing on the forum where people were trying to guess what language that was. And it ended up being something that's not spoken very frequently anymore called Manx. And what, that, that sounds what, so what, cool. What's the origin of that? Like what area, what region of the world? It's Gaelic, uh, British Isles. I think it extends, mixed in, well, yeah, British Isles, I think. That's cool. Yeah, I was just curious. Descended from primitive Irish. Yeah, that sounded so cool. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it might have been uh, some kind of Nordic language. Yeah, but, uh, that was my yeah. thought, too, is that it was something, you know, from the Nordic direction. But it's, you know, it, it's just beautiful. It sounds great. Oh, here's a stone that is inscripted with it. And it looks like, I mean, I'm trying to look for the inscription. It looks like it's just scratches on a rock. Here's a plot hook for you. I'm going to put the link in there. It just, uh, the caption claims that it's, it's actually primitive Irish in the Manx Museum. It was, oh, wow. Right? Like, how is that a language? It looks like counting. Yeah. <laughs> Strange. The inscription says, of Dovedo, son of Droata. It's like a, maybe a grave marker. It's the person's name. <laughs> it just looks like, a ghoul, <laughs> you know, <laughs> kind uh-huh. of came and scratched at it. And Good Shimon one for actually, middle eight. Yeah, you actually authored this uh, wiki link. Huh? Shimon Beg was the author of this uh, wiki link. No. Stone. Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah. 
Wow. Cool. Yep. User. Shimmerbeck. That's awesome. Plus, he supplied a link to a page that he maintains where he's been translating Lovecraft stories into Manx in text form. So if you want to see what it looks like in text, then we'll have the link for that in the show notes. Very cool. But it, it gives last... big chunks of text there that if you wanted to, you know, just have something in a game just in another language, there you go. And it's an actual real speakable language. Mm. The last speaker of the lang- native speaker of the language died in 1974. Mm. So it's a lived language, even last century. So it's similar to Latin where people still learn it, but it's more of a just an extra thing that you pick up on rather than your native yeah. tongue. But I'm glad to see people keeping it alive. Uh, here in South Dakota, it's like that for like the uh, Lakota language, mm. where it's not really spoken natively by anybody anymore, but it's still being taught. And for a little while, it was feared that the knowledge of the language is going to go extinct, but they're they're bringing it back and teaching it in uh, certain courses now. So, well, that's cool. Yeah, and we've got a sponsor shout out. Thank you so much to Grizzled Veteran who uh, sent in a donation. He's got a topic that he uh, can pick, so whenever he comes up with something, he'll send that in, and we'll cover it. Thank you very thank much, you, Grizzled, Grizzled Veteran. Veteran. Yeah, thank you very much. We got an email from a new member named the Storyteller on the forums, and it had a number of questions in there, and we wanted to cover it well. And so that is going to be an upcoming side topic. So everybody, feel free to send in questions and whatnot. We'll cover them. And this was a nice lengthy one that we wanted to take some time and go through properly. So Storyteller, that's going to be coming up. Thank you for your email. Yeah, it's a good one. Study the work of your school librarian, and perhaps you can secure permission to assist. Today's card catalog, we've got the medieval bestiary, animals in the Middle Ages. Yes, this thing is fantastic. Really cool. Yeah, and I love that. You know, it's a bestiary that includes animals like bear, you know, ape and these kinds of things. Yeah, that were so kind of poorly understood scientifically that they have these just really strange origin uh, assumptions about about, you know, the the uh, (laughs) like the bear. One of the things it says about bears is that the bear cubs are born as a shapeless and eyeless lump of flesh. And then the mother bear shapes it into proper form by licking it. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. That's, that's not true. Um, the There's barnacle a, goose that is, that is grown from a tree. <laughs> they have the, uh, the asp, which is, uh, it blocks its ears with its tail so as not to hear the charmer. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. This is a great listing here for any game set in the era or, if you're doing a folklore in a document from the era, this is really cool. Yeah, it gets to the source. You know, you get. Uh, it, it, I really like how scholarly it is, and it will give you the, the sources, like the centaur 
you pull that up and it actually tells you in the seventh century where where the first uh, where the reference comes from centaurs are fabulous animals uh, part man part horse this is from Isidore of Seville written in the seventh century huh. so all these things that have been in our you know our bestiaries of games going back these are you can trace them down to this source any one of these could be a plot hook, right, for yeah. Cthulhu Dark Ages. Yeah. I'm just kind of scroll through the list. The bee. Bees are the smallest of birds and are born from the bodies of oxen. <laughs> Nobody's ever seen a beehive, apparently. <laughs> but the badger is just a dirty beast that bites. Right. <laughs> yeah. Just... Weird stuff. Not a lot of actual observations going on. No. No. But this is a great find. So there's a blog as well, which is pretty cool, that you can link from there called the Chimera. Chimera, the bestiary blog. And various various drawings or, you know, illustrations are uh, covered there. And Yeah, this is a good blog, actually. Yeah, this is pretty cool. Yeah. Definitely something for your... Um... Uh, Cthulhu Dark Ages. This is a resource that you'll want for sure. Yeah. Yeah, this is really good. Great looking imagery. Mm-hmm. Cool. Neat. And for Cryptocurium Spot, there are still uh, regular editions of the Houdini's Secret set available. The Deluxe Edition with the cool looking Gugs Sphinx have been sold out, but the regular edition still available, so We'll take a look at that. It's got a bunch of cool documents and photos and and a, uh, a prop of an amulet of Queen Nitocris, which if you yes. know your published adventures, you know that she is a uh, a player in one of those. <laughs> so this, you know, this can be a just kind of extra piece of props for uh, handing out to players and tie Houdini into the story. Yeah, this is neat. This is very cool. Yeah. Yeah, I love all the photos is, and stuff. Yeah. It is under the pyramids um available as a as a scenario or or is or is the queen part of uh like uh, masks or something? She's in well, masks. Well, mentioned. Huh? Yeah. She's in masks. Mhm. Okay. I didn't remember. I did not recall that that she was in that. I mean, he's pulling references from the story. Yeah. Yeah, from under the pyramid. Yeah. yeah, which which makes sense that they would have for reference for masks. Yeah, yeah, right. God, this is so cool. I love his work. It's a great. This is such a great prop set. Yeah, it is. Not surprising that the deluxe version sold out pretty quickly. Oh my god, I love that. I did love that Sphinx. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sphinx that is awesome. Cool. Here in the Beast Jerry, we're going to have a chat about the men from Lang. Dun, dun, dun. So they're, they're a uh, well-mannered, uh, polite group of uh, businessmen. Mm-hmm. And yeah. <laughs> they're uh, known for, you know, giving uh, good deals. 
and being able mm-hmm. to, yeah, you know, they're, they'll, you know, make a, a very fair trade and they've never had really any unhappy customers. So never, right, never, guys. never. Yeah. High, high degree of ethical conduct mm-hmm. in the business community. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Or they're okay. kind of the dreamlands version of the Ferengi. There you go. Um, you yeah. know, it's, it's, it's funny because the, they're the slaves, you know, they're not the masters. Yeah. The, you know, they're the slaves of moon beasts. They're the almost humans, uh, which I always found as a, as a really creepy reference, you know, like you're not quite human. You're, you're cloven hoofed. You have uh, horns, you know, they're, they're almost kind of like a pan. Yeah. Uh, they're definitely satyrish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would think uh, that these are where the idea of the satyr this is the origin. Yeah. Just it's, and, and while, you know, they, uh, they can fill the role of merchant or, you know, and, and, uh, uh, and they serve aboard the moon beast, uh, uh, ships and everything, uh, you know, they're not in charge. They're the slaves. And, uh, mm-hmm. and they also live in, uh, in really primitive rock huts and villages in the plateau of Lang itself. Um, uh, so, yeah, and you have to wonder what kind of, what kind of ecology do they have where, you know, that's their native home, you know? They live out there with the spiders and everything. And how do they, how do they have a, uh, a balance, you know, uh, of life out there with the, uh, with those spiders? So it's interesting. Yeah. So you've done some writing on this, right? This is from Plateau of Lang. Is that? I did. I, in yeah. Starfall over the Plateau of Lang, um, uh, I do have an area where, uh, the, the, the players, you know, the investigators can, uh, travel across the face of the plateau to, to get to their destination. And, um, I envisioned to try and, you know, have the plateau, uh, make sense as far as a landscape where, there's the spiders and the men of Lang and, you know, how do you, you know, maneuver through this? Uh, I envision and tried to describe in the, uh, in the adventure that the, that the plateau itself is, uh, is almost covered in like this forest of giant granite boulders that almost create like a, a maze network that you walk through. Okay. And covering over the tops of these, uh, of these, uh, boulders, that's where all the web work is. So the, the spiders are, can constantly be above you, uh, and they can come down and the, the men of Lang live below in this, in this network of, uh, of granite, you know, boulders that are just jutting up everywhere at odd angles. Um, I was kind of picturing, uh, if you, th- if you think about old classic Star Trek and that, uh, that episode where Kirk uh, battled the Gorn creature, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, that was shot on location in California and it has those, those, you know, giant rock outcroppings that come out at, at strange angles and everything. So I was kind of envisioning that type of landscaping. Uh, so now you've got a canopy of webbing ab- over your head and there's also like fog over your head. And, uh, and as you're going through the, uh, the rock, you know, at ground level, uh, winding your way through, there are certain areas where, where built into the rock or, or rocks that have been, uh, used for construction. There's these little stone 
villages, you know, which will just be a collection of a few huts. And, and that's where that'll be one of many spread out, um, uh, communities of, 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 uh, men of Lang that are, that are living natively out there in the plateau. So it's possible for the, for players in Starfold Plateau of Lang to, to stumble across one of these, uh, uh, villages of men of Lang, uh, as well as also stumble across, uh, spiders, uh, as you're maneuvering around underneath them. So that's a nice, vivid, uh, fleshed out description of the landscape. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I wanted it to be more than just a flat plane, like a, instead of this just, you know, expanse of nothing. Um, I wanted to give it an, an air of mystery and danger. And I mean, literally your visibility is limited because of all the, the rocks you're constantly twisting around and moving around corners as you're, as you're uh, winding your way through this uh, network. So yeah, nice. the, uh, yeah, the men of Lang, it's interesting. Um, as I'm looking at a, a listing, like a, you know, our, our, our chaosium game stats for men of Lang, something that I, I tend to note with these creatures as we, as we cover them is their intelligence, you know, and, and how keepers should, uh, should feel as far as, um, running these, uh, these creatures, uh, intelligently, uh, against your, uh, investigators. Intelligence is not one of the stats listed, at least here in the Malleus Monstrum. And so that, huh. that, that lends me to believe that, you know, these, these men of Lang are really, really primitive is, is the direction that I would take is that they're, they're really primitive and that maybe there's only a few that are elevated and educated. And so those would be like unique named, uh, uh, men of Lang that, that, uh, investigators could encounter. I mean, cause there's no reason why you couldn't have, you know, a scholarly man of Lang. Um, but I think in general, these almost humans, these slaves of the moon beasts, these primitives that live on the, on the plateau of Lang in stone huts. I mean, I think they're, they're more akin in general to, uh, to, to cavemen as far as their, um, uh, intelligence and ability to, to, um, uh, to gather and to think and to, you know, it's all, it's like a herd mentality. Personally, I think that's, that, that's gotta be more of a typo. I mean, even animals and things that don't even have intelligence have the stat listed. Right. Like even the, the Lang spiders, they have an intelligence stat and yeah. their intelligence is human equivalent, you know, so. Yeah. In my, uh, Dreamlands book, uh, the fourth edition, it doesn't have intelligence listed for them, yet the second edition Dreamlands book does. Hmm. And what's that value? 2d6 plus 6. So the same as a human. Yeah, human intelligence. Okay. That's so strange. Yeah. A little, mis- a, little, a little mistake, a little hiccup. Yeah, yeah. I really got to think that that's just some sort of a weird... An oversight? ...typo in the... Yeah, that's a glitch in the printing because it's just been carried forward over and over you know even if it's something like uh what is it azathoth has a intelligence of zero Mm -hmm. it's still listed right so the babbling god 
So yeah, if you're using Men of Ling, I would just give them the 2d6 plus 6 average human level stat for that. Because they deal with humans on a fairly regular basis. Well, they deal with them. Yes, they deal with them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they are slavers, no? They, they themselves are sort of... Yeah, the. it's right? like a pyramid scheme. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, they will capture, kidnap people, and then, you know, make them into slaves or into food for moon beasts because, well, the men of Lang are also food for moon beasts. It's just kind of this horrible, very messy circle. Yes. Yes. And they seem to have a thing for uh, rubies. Yeah, they have access to some kind of uh, perfect ruby. Eerily perfect ruby that they trade yeah. in. <laughs> I love the there's the, the thing from Dan Harms that says that you know they they um their home island is is uh Delathleen, or that's the, the island that they um that they trade with. Mm-hmm. That's where they, they trade the rubies and yeah. or one of the places. And and it says Delathleen is unpopular with its neighbors due to the mysterious black galleys that dock there to sell their cargoes of rubies in exchange for slaves from Parg. So <laughs> It reminds me of like a meth house or something, you know, like none of the other islands really like the Lathalene because there's always a lot of traffic and suspicious activity going on. Yeah, these guys that walk kind of funny and have these tall turbans on and and their smiles are just way too wide. Exactly. It's just unnaturally huge. Yep. It's the bad part of the archipelago. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, one thing I did like in the Malleus Monstorum is it lists several different weapons and things that they can make use of normally. You know, and they're all fairly mm-hmm. primitive type weapons. Spear, whip, knife, club. But in everything else I've seen, they've only listed spear. So I'm glad they acknowledged that, no, these guys are going to use pretty much all the same stuff any other person would. Yeah. Mm. So as far as playing them in a game, I would just use them as a human character with the, you know, potential sand loss of, you know, if a player character sees one without the disguise to make them look more human. But otherwise, it's pretty much what they are. They're just, they're satyrs. Yeah. Sadistic ones. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's, you know, you, you could play them in whatever fashion would, would fit your needs, you know, whether they be uh, intelligent, malicious or primitive and uh, reactionary, you know, uh, caveman-ish. I mean, because I, I, I think it'll fit in, in all places. I mean, their their native uh, homes in, in the plateau are just these stone huts, you know, little cave dwellings and that kind of thing. Yeah. It's interesting, this line about them being um, dream versions of the Chocho. Yeah. As a possibility. Yeah, I was looking at that too. I really like that idea because both of them are inhabitants of Lang, either in the waking world or the dreamlands. So you can either have that parody between them, of that one is just the dreamlands version of the other, or you could have it where, you know, if the veil between waking and dream gets thin enough, you might actually have like skirmishes and battles for territory between the two. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah. 
So they they might be completely aware of each other and, you know, despise the idea that someone else is inhabiting their territory in another space. So that could be kind of an interesting potential thing to do, you know, in a story. So, yeah, there's all sorts of, you know, ways that you can play this off. Very cool. Settle down now, class. It's time for your next lesson. like that one only been ever to ever use it one other time when we did gonna... invictus yep the one yeah a conversation about cthulhu dark ages another of the eras of potential play yes and this so one much i believe stuff. actually predates invictus as far as a an available book yeah i believe it does yeah and... this is this is not a setting that i've I personally have played in yet, but I actually have an idea for a, a scenario that I want to do in the Dark Ages. Oh, cool. Awesome. I'd like to see more. You know, this is a, a bit of an orphaned product, I feel like. Um, we haven't seen much come out for it. There's been, there have been a few uh, scenarios and campaigns that have come out, but it kind of died off and you didn't see much more. Um, cropping up, I think other eras have, you know, there've been other eras um, taking focus. So, yeah, and to revive it a little bit. Yeah, that would be cool. I mean, because it's uh, it enhances even more of the uh, of the things that that make I I think that make the 1920s Cthulhu, you know, so much fun, which is the the ability for isolation you know the the lack of mm. communication you know getting word out to someplace takes longer you know that kind of thing uh you know and it's the same reason why why i enjoy gaslights you know as well is because it, it just keeps getting more and more primitive it's it's you know the ability to communicate to to warn people of the dangers or you know to to gain information is more difficult you know you're not gonna find readily um mass you're not in dark ages you're not gonna find at all mass-produced books you know yeah they're they're all gonna be hand illuminated hand written and and you know nine tenths of the people aren't gonna be able to read it um uh so you know gaining information gaining lore is gonna have to be done by word of mouth right um Forcing you to actually talk to dead PCs and, 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 and get that, you know, get the information you need, that kind of thing. Yeah. And at the same time, these, these, uh, magic tomes are circulating. They're, the, their dangers are not well understood yet. 
So you actually do have um, kind of magic is a little closer to the surface and, and in use. And alchemy is, um, you know, a, a vibrant uh, living art form and crosses over with all kinds of potential mythos yeah. stains. So, yeah. So the dangers are higher. Your ability to research is lower. <laughs> you know, there, there, it's a lot of potential for some dark stories. Yep. Yeah. So everybody had a belief in the supernatural, and you know, this was a time when the church was in complete control of you know the vast majority of society, and so there. Everybody just viewed everything through the lens of the supernatural. Mm -hmm. So it was just no surprise if they found that somebody had magical abilities. Well, you know, of course it's out there. You know, somebody was bound to have it. Right. You know, and, oh, it's a monster. Well, I, I always knew that there were monsters in the woods and now we're being faced by one. Turn around and run. Mm -hmm. It almost seems like sanity losses should be slightly less simply because they're not going to be surprised by the existence of some of these things. Yeah, that's actually a great uh, argument for that, for keeping the sanity loss lower. That would That's yeah. actually a, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah, possibly. I think also you could make an argument that shaking, shaking the faith, uh, faith in the church and what the church teaches would also be... Take it, you'd get a big hit from that. Yeah, sure. So, so it might so witnessing a monster might exactly like like those are different different tracks. Like witnessing a a a basilisk, you know, is is would not be surprising or something you might think of as a basilisk. Of course, mm -hmm. that's also you could think of that as uh, failing your sand versus making your sand. Right, one in if you make the sand, you're able to like integrate it into supernatural that you already know. Well, the Bayaki are just basilisks and we, you know, I've just never seen one before or, you know, it's a dragon. I mean, who knows, right? Mm -hmm. Um, or, or but demon. if you fail it, right, or right. And if you fail it, it shakes your faith in the, the church and the very foundation of your belief. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I like that. That's, yeah, that's a good that, way like of, of seeing these things because, yeah, I think it should be addressed that the the people of the time saw everything through that particular lens so you know it would make sense that you know why would they be surprised by something but yeah i like the idea of using it in the pass fail of the sand roll mm. that way you don't actually have to change any of the mechanics from that view it's all the same it's just whether right. or not it shakes you there's this okay. kind of obsession with, uh, in the, in the church of making everything conform to the natural order of God's, God's natural order, you know, like a, uh, evidence of intention, yeah. um, in nature and balance. And, you know, yeah. we talked about the that with the like, number of supposed to be orderly. Exactly. Right. So that's another kind of dial, right? You could say, it shakes your faith because this doesn't fit. It's it, it's evidence that the universe is chaos, <laughs> not you know, not the order you'd hoped it was. I mean, they down to like maps where where continents were weirdly symmetrical just to make sure that it fit <laughs> into that idea. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, into that mold God would only of, make symmetrical 
Yeah. Having been purposefully created, therefore it has to be nice and even and matched up. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there there was a lot of uh, disappointments on that ground pretty much all the way around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, it's possible still suffering from those growing pains. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd say. Yeah. Yeah, sorry folks, the earth is a sphere. Oops. <laughs> yep. Not going to fall off the edge today. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, planet does in fact revolve around the sun and not the other way around. It's just a matter of perspective. And it's just, it, it, that for me would be one of the hard parts of playing in the era simply because their point of view on everything is so different for how the natural world works. Mm-hmm. You know, for them, there really isn't that much of a natural world. It's all purposefully, uh, you know, supernaturally based. Right. And that, for me, would make it a difficult thing to actually play in. Yeah, it is. A, it is a bit of a challenge. I think you can sort of. Um, I forget who said it. Was talking about this, but you know, we don't. We're not trying to actually simulate uh eras that we play in with perfection right we're not really yeah. trying to perfectly render uh True. roman times or the 1920s because we don't really understand you know we don't have a great full understanding of what it was like at the time but what we do can do is just take a stab you know just yeah make an attempt try to imagine what it would be like to have these deep superstitions in medieval Europe and and see what comes out. But you're right, it does kind of take like an imaginative leap to to try that on yeah. precise. Yeah, and to do it in, in a way that doesn't allow it to morph into your standard D&D game. No, that is, is an, yeah. This is far more that is realistic an on that front. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that is an issue that I see. And cause I've heard people talk about how this can be sort of a gateway drug to get D&D players into Call of Cthulhu. I, I think that my position is, is not, I mean, I wouldn't do it. I think I would play this with experienced players simply because it's like the uncanny valley situation where it's so close in other trappings to mm-hmm. the D&D, the fantasy world. Um, that we imagine and yet we're really trying to look at history um, that I can imagine D&D players falling into some habits that wouldn't work very well including the heroic attitude Yeah. so I think it might take a little experience to really be able to um, click with this or at least to, to get beyond that misunderstanding that um, this game is played like any fantasy game Mm-hmm. Or that this game is played like any other Call of Cthulhu game. That it's, you know, it's a, it's a living world that you're supposed to be in and you have your occupation, you have your connectivity to, to the environment and, and relationships with people and that, um, and that something is amiss and you're getting, you know, voluntarily or involuntarily pulled into this investigation and there's, um, there's something uh, worse just under the surface. Now, in this particular setting, you're, you tend to be more superstitious and either more 
apt to believe or accept, uh, and maybe even because of those acceptances and beliefs, uh, more greatly fear, uh, the kind of things that, that you're discovering. Uh, but, but even still, it's supposed to be this real world, not a, uh, sword and sorcery, you know, world. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, which is where I, I think it would, you know, I think that might be if you were trying to use it as a, as a gateway for, uh, fantasy role players to, to try Call of Cthulhu. I could see where there may be, um, some confusion with that because how many fantasy role players really feel like their characters are, are living in a, in a living, breathing medieval realm? You know, they're, not, I mean, they're not, they're, 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 they're trying to live in a, in a, um, Jack Vance novel or a mm-hmm. Tolkien novel, that kind of thing. You know, I thought it was interesting as I was flipping through the, uh, Dark Ages book, uh, in the monsters section, they, they list things like goblins and halflings and giants. And, you know, mm-hmm. so you have, you have those as monsters as well as, uh, as well as the mythos, uh, creatures that we're familiar with. Yeah. Yeah, you can kind of treat it as, you know, the things of legend today or were actually around at that point that they described rather than just being imaginings. Uh-huh. And so, you know, I could see where you could have a, uh, say, a Shantak bird pop up and you know, that sure. is like the origins of dragon lore. Right, right. Yeah, you've got so much folklore that is uh, is easy to, easy to draw from. There's a paradigm already of the supernatural. That's what is different, or mm-hmm. slightly different than the 20s, you know. Yeah. There was still a sort of spiritualism and, you know, lots of supernatural stuff going on in the 20s. But yeah. uh, this is yeah. just weirder supernatural. Yes. And you can simply treat it as a thing of, you know, well, the veil is just thinner and there you go. Yep. There's it. Well, one other thing that I doing was looking through the spell lists here and there's a bunch of extra things that are pretty cool it's like there are more utility type spells in here than there are in the uh, regular book in 20s Mm -hmm. you know demon hearing and demon sight it it just gives you magnified hearing and sight capabilities Uh as it like uh, Steve Austin. It, it's just sort of <laughs> Steve Austin. <laughs> just very interesting types of things. You know, there's one called Moonlight, which causes a small silvery ball emitting light of full mood intensity to eliminate a target area. I mean, that's just useful utility stuff. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. I think the intent behind the setting is to bring magic right to the surface and and have you know spells and magic you know more present yeah. than your your normal yeah they talk about how there's characters uh, witches and healers and things like that those are those are characters that know spells and while um you know uh, the written word is going to be more rare and and anyone uh educated on the written word is going to be rare um you know there's there's more people that can uh, do person to person instruction of spells. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's True. almost as if 
even with the even with the 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 limitations of the written word spells and their ability to be learned it's even more prevalent right exactly yeah i like the idea that there's a much higher frequency of actually finding somebody to teach you spells rather than just finding a book and trying to figure it out right mm-hmm. a lot of this would have been oral history as opposed to a a written yeah. um, tradition. Yeah, these aren't yeah. just relics being dug up and knowledge being uncovered. It's stuff that's actually in use. Kind of like what we were right. talking about earlier with the language thing, where this would be a time frame when something like that would be still a thriving living thing. Whereas yeah. you can think of the 20s era as the magic is the equivalent of the Manx language, which is purposefully mm. studied but not organically a first tongue whereas yep. in dark ages it would be yeah yeah you know, spell knowledge mythos knowledge would be just passed down not necessarily common through for everybody but certain groups certain yeah. family lines it would just be a normal common knowledge of everyday life yep yeah that this, I mean, I, I am intrigued by this setting I, and I would like to do more play just as much as I'm also intrigued with the gaslight. You know, I, I, it's, there's so many cool settings. You just, you want to be able to, to play in all of them. I, 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 I have this idea that just came across my mind of a, of a, a family that is having to deal with an exorcism, you know, and, and, you know, the, the local priest, um, would definitely, I would think, have the, have the, the tools and equipment, uh, and the, you know, the spells available to try and, and do the exorcism, you know? And, and how would this, uh, this family deal with that? And, and, uh, and what are the ramifications once the uh, exorcism is, is begun? That yeah. kind of thing. And then for in game terms, you can determine, is there actually anything to exercise? Uh-huh. You know, does she just have, you know, just some sort of disorder, or are we looking at a uh, uh, a a possession of some form? Is is there an insect from Shagai involved? Because mm-hmm. that's is there that legitimately needs to be gotten rid of? Yeah, is there is there something some other intelligence trying to use that person as an avatar, mm-hmm. or it could just be epilepsy? There's that too. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. But there's all sorts of possible directions to go with this. You know, if I were to run it, I don't think I would really enjoy running it as straight as it really should be. I would probably wind up going it, it, it would feel more like, uh, Army of Darkness than, <laughs> than appropriate Dark Ages if I tried doing it. Sure. It's kind of like if I tried running sure. Delta Green, it would be a mix of, uh, shield in the laundry so there are certain settings that that i just i'm not cut out for but that still (laughs) i don't know that sounds yeah it would be a lot of fun maybe as a one shot laundry and (laughs) with uh (laughs) some of the stuff from shield i just love the idea of you know the laundry having a helicarrier because those things cannot (laughs) stay in the sky very long right (laughs) well unless they have a mythos uh force involved even better (laughs) right um i don't know if we want to mention the whole list of stuff we will post in the 
in the show notes all the different i mean i guess i could just read all of the different yeah, just maybe resources a, a mention from some of these things here because i don't know what most of these are mm. yeah i don't know pastores uh the pastores is one that i haven't looked into um that's a uh hang on it is a campaign i believe it's a cult actually so the pastores is a cult and it's a it's a monograph from Chaosium. um that one happened to be first in our list, but the oh, Ravenars. That's right. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. where I've heard that name. It's that's that monograph. Okay. Yep. Yep. Um, the Ravenar sagas is that's another flavor that we haven't talked about. Is there's this encompasses the Viking setting, I guess I would say, because it's the same era. But um, the original uh, Dark Ages is supposed to be in the first century of the second millennium. So. The 1000s, yeah. basically. Um, 1000 to about 1100. And that, um, so that means that, uh, the, you know, that encompasses, uh, the Viking kind I think actually the Vikings go all the way through for another couple of hundred years, um, before they unify. Um, so they are in their raiding, their classic Viking mode that we think of. And so Ravenar Sagas is a really great, uh, campaign written by Oscar Rios that it, it's, it's fantastic. It's one of those ones that I would love to run. I've run another Viking game that was not part of the Ravenar Sagas. And just because it, it seems to fit my purposes for a, a one shot better. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, that's something we're going to release. Yeah, I right? was wondering Eventually. if that was the one yeah. that. We have recorded. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. So Dan played in that. Um, it was just, uh, that was a competition one shot from the Caligo uh, Ascendium tournament. So that's where that, um, that's where that scenario came okay. from. A uh, bunch of Viking raiders. So that, and actually a year ago or so, we were going to talk about Dark Ages and I ran that specifically so that one of us would have <laughs> some kind of experience with it. Uh-huh. Um, because at, at that time, none of us had any experience. Yeah. And I've since run it, run that same scenario for um, some kids online, uh, uh, the son of uh, my friend. Okay. But I like that flavor a lot, the Viking Viking era. And it's that's very, you're kind of like murder hobos. You know, as Vikings, you are that classic D&D raid and steal and take stuff. Yeah. What I think is cool is you can then interrupt it with mythos and sort of turn it on its head a little bit like well it's not a happy ending when you do that yeah <laughs> you know? uh-huh. yeah you can actually take the the standard mode of you know going out and discovering new and interesting people and then slaughtering or enslaving them and taking their stuff and their land and so yeah that is very much the standard D kind of thing and uh then put them up against something that wants to treat them the same way yeah Right. Or make that, you know, you raid and find artifacts. I mean, they did a lot of raiding of monasteries. It was one of their favorite targets, the Vikings, um, because monasteries were collections of wealth. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's where wealth went huh. uh, as of tithing. That's, you know, they ended up in, in the church. And so, uh, and knowledge as well. It was all yeah. kind of collected. And so they had these, <laughs> these, uh, stationary targets to hit. And, um, you know, they could end up with whatever tome or with, you know, uh, items or, uh, things locked in cages. Yeah. Um, or what about a, a, they find a, a village on coast somewhere and go and raid it and it 
turns out whenever they go into the church, it's a temple to Dagon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that'd be, it'd be a uh, great the retelling. The inhabitants turn out not to be such pushovers. They're a little weird. Right. Yeah. You know, it, it's 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 a bad day when the Vikings get really creeped out. <laughs> exactly. I think that's what I love about that um, flavor of it is that Vikings, at least in our mind, are all about courage and, you know, having this incredible bravery, but pit them against the mythos. And I love the idea of their 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 faith and their uh, confidence being mm-hmm. finally shaken. Uh, that's satisfying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for that I would definitely <laughs> say watch 13th Warrior for some fun action Viking-y stuff. And right. then yeah, that was a good movie. There's <laughs> a uh, Vikings series I was on History Channel, I think, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I've, yeah. I've seen bits of episodes and that looks to be very well made and much more historically yeah. accurate, obviously, than 13th Warrior. Yeah, I haven't seen it either and I've heard uh, yeah, so many people have recommended yeah. it. It's like Sons of Anarchy, only with more swords. <laughs> right, right. Um, let's go, going down the list a little more, the, uh, there's the Dark Crusades. I have not taken a look at it, but I will say that one of my other favorite flavors, uh, potentials, is is the Crusades, because precisely because it is so problematic. I mean, I find the whole history of the Crusades is fascinating, but it's also, it's sort of like the the history of slavery in the U.S. It's just sort of, yeah. it's un- it's uncomfortable, right? I mean, it's uh-huh. it was some really ugly things were done by Europeans um, and by the Islamic Empire. Let's, you know, yeah. not Nobody sugarcoat anything here. Nobody was a good guy in that. It no. was just a great big stupid mess. Right. And, you know, because of contemporary sensitivities, the idea of a holy war between Christianity and Islam is, you know, makes me a little ill yeah <laughs> but that's why i want to go pick that scab you know it's a it's an int- it, it intrigues me because of that as much as it repels me mm-hmm. so i like the idea of of uh, a campaign in the holy lands during dark ages and having to grapple as players with the the uncomfortableness of of the war and you know it's because you know knights and all the kinds of things that that end up as fantasy tropes are sort of rooted in this era yeah. of of fighting against uh, Islam. And um, it's interesting to me to, to examine the reality behind those those fantasy things that we've grown up with, with the, the paladin in mm-hmm. armor is essentially uh, a crusader. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it, it's definitely evolved into an, a much more palatable uh, view of, you know, the heroics and the questing and all that kind of stuff. And uh, when you... you start to peek at the reality behind that pleasant veneer it it's it's kind of sickening i mean that's we've talked about this before but that you know that's part of why i love this game as a historical fiction game because you can explore uh, things in history that are either, either sore spots or you know that you don't quite it gives you an excuse to research i mean if i were to run a uh a crusades game I would have to do some research. It's not like I have that all and yeah, packed exactly. in my brain. You know, I think it's why most yeah. of us, like myself, will, will pick an era that we really just really appeal to and mm-hmm. learn it to a comfortable amount to where you don't have to keep looking stuff up. Right. True. You know, for right. me, yep. 20s, I'm good with that. I'm comfortable with the setting. Yep. Right. Yeah, that's my wheelhouse, the 20s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think of it as my home base, but I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm era curious. Yeah. <laughs> That's what she said. 
<laughs> that is that's meaningless. What? <laughs> <laughs> Those jokes always are. Um, all right. So, dreams and spirits, uh, dr- uh, spirits and dreams of the Viking Age is another um, uh, resource. There's uh, Caligo Ascend- uh, Ascendum the tournament. There's the Abbey, which is pretty interesting. That's uh, uh, I think that's a it's another monograph, right? Yeah, many of these are. Um, in fact. Ooh, I I hesitate to declare, but I think well, we'll say at least most, if not all, except the source, the, the the main source book of Cthulhu Dark Ages are monographs. Yeah, I don't know. I can't. I don't have that at my fingertips. But anyway, there are more uh, there's things a... available than I really thought there were. You found a lot more mm-hmm. stuff than I expected there to be. Yeah. Um. Because I often cheat and ask Brett Kramer for input on these things, I, (laughs) well, actually, he didn't send me this, but I found on YSDC a post by him that gives a list of scenarios that I'll post into the show notes. Right. So there's Pagan Call, which is kind of in development, but it is available. Uh, part one and two. There's Here Be Dragons. There's A New Jerusalem, which is, I think, a free scenario. Um, and here's a list of a bunch of scenarios that we won't, I don't think we just need to read these, but there's a bunch, you know, some of them are in Halloween horror. There's, uh, Ripples from Carcosa has one. Um, okay. So there's a bunch of different stuff there. And there's also a list. Also via Brett, um, on the, on his YSDC post that is, it's an old one. So there may be some new stuff. But anyway, uh, there's some articles. Um, one of the settings that this crosses over with is the, is Averon, the setting of Averon oh, yeah. from Clark Ashton Smith, right? And I guess there's been some trouble, uh, trying to get an Averon source book written i think there was work done on it mm-hmm. and if i'm not mistaken the estate of clark ashton smith blocked it oh. i don't oh. know if it was too expensive i don't know the details you know for the license but that is a drag because i think that would help the setting a lot yeah yeah to give a a specific home base that's so interesting yeah and because, yeah, on the uh, Double Shadow podcast, when they were going through all those Averone stories, I was really getting into the setting. I really enjoyed those. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, there was like a, a giant, like, golem-type creature made out of, what, melted dead people or something? And just being <laughs> driven around like yeah. a mecca? Yeah, so it's cool, right? <laughs> weird stuff. And I was thinking, yeah. why isn't this a source book of some sort? So it's a Absolutely. great setting. And even though there's not a source book available, I would say, um, first of all, go and listen to all of the the uh, Double Shadow podcast episodes on Averone, because you can do that. They lump them together by setting. Um, and pick up some of the fiction, because it will it will ins- it's great inspiration. It's a little different than strictly Lovecraftian mythos. Uh, he's He's, you know, had a very different uh, tone, I guess, and it's it's great inspiration. So even if you even if we don't have a book, it seems like we could draw the, draw in those influences. A few of the changes in the setting, just to keep uh, be mindful of, is that the standard age is actually fifteen. Your investigators are fifteen oh, years yeah. old. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um. You still get the every ten years after that, you add twenty points of of skills and 
uh, one point of uh, minus one on yeah, and then right. one minus so normally, one on other stats. Right, exactly. But is it past age forty, or is it going to be at past age thirty or something? No, it's just past age or, fifteen. Yeah, every ten, every ten years so after twenty five, you so you have to get twenty five from something. Okay. Probably a parent's yeah. wow. or con if they've been ill, you know that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that helps to explain the uh, expected lifespan to be, you know. Pretty, pretty darn short. Yeah, I was just going to look that up. <laughs> Medieval Britain, life de- life expectancy at birth was 30 years old. Man. Yeah. So, but people do not misunderstand that everybody died at 30, uh, 35, um, 30 years old. At, it's, at age 21, life expectancy was an additional 43 years. So if you made it to age 21, you could, you could end up in your 60s. So there are old people. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's just that you're, as a young person, your chances of survival. Getting through your formidable years, that was the rough part. Between 15 and 20 is a uh, rather difficult period of time to try and make it through. Actually worse than American high school. That's difficult to comprehend. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Some of the changes, the skill changes, there's insight instead of psychology. That's true Mm -hmm. of um, Invictus as well. Kind of just word choice there. It's pretty much the same thing. People reading, yeah. sure, natural world instead of natural history. Um, one thing I think is interesting is own kingdom is a skill instead of history. So, in other words, you kind of just know your neighbors, and that's it. Which is part of that isolation you were talking about, John. Yeah, I think you know that your yeah. your knowledge really doesn't extend. Yeah, people would spend their entire lifetime within like a specific, you know, twenty mile, thirty mile area. Mm-hmm but they would know it. Toiling the same soil over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Uh, Potions instead of pharmacy, repair slash devise instead of mechanical repair. Science is just one skill. (laughs) It's just, (laughs) you either know science or you don't. If you you know science, then that's your best, that's your skill for astronomy and biology and whatever, because those who studied science just studied everything that was available and didn't take that damn long. (laughs) So, yeah. Now, some extra stuff they include in the book here that I really like is we have rules for exposure for uh, cold, mm. which is very useful yeah. for both just air temperature or being in the water. There's some good information about uh, uh, using fire for lighting. So candles, torches, oil lamps, lanterns, that sort of stuff has been flushed out better you know there's rules for yep. for breaking up uh obstacles by hand i know that the they have like quarrying rules <laughs> yeah i was gonna say uh, there's there's the speed in which you can dig you know yeah. how deep you can go yeah. You know, and, and the uh, armor point values of like various substances people will make walls out of so boards mm-hmm. and an ordinary oak door three points of armor 15 hit points you know it's it's really potentially very useful as well as some extra stuff for like combat where they add in shields and a broader Mm -hmm. range of armor there's a really big table of diseases i know lots of diseases and poisons Mm -hmm. (laughs) even things like uh uh honey you know bee stings like 50 bee stings and all that stuff, which I thought was cool. Yeah. I like the idea, though, that they, on the disease table, they give what it would have been called, verse, and then in parentheses, what the disease is 
known as now. So you yeah. have, you know, consu- consumption, which is nowadays we would think of it as tuberculosis and the cause of what they thought then would cause it. Yeah. You know, so yeah. tuberculosis was caused by unclean air. Huh. Right. So that's a very useful thing that could be potentially used for any number of eras. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I have found all kinds of great stuff that you could pull forward to the 20s. It's a well-written book. Yes, it is. I mean, it's, oh, it's, yeah. that's the thing. It's, it's a, we're, we're talking mostly about the setting, but the actual resource is nice. Mm-hmm. Lots of, um, I like that, you know, Call of Cthulhu fiction that, um, that you can draw from and references. It's really well sourced. Yes. Tells you where to track stuff down, which I love. Yeah, really good uh, research in there. And it's one of those books that you don't need to have the regular Call of Cthulhu book. It is the complete game yeah, book. It's a, com- it's a complete game book. And the, even the included uh, introductory scenario, mm-hmm. it's not brief like The Haunting. I mean, it is a, it's like a big, it's a big scenario. I wouldn't call it a campaign, but it has got a lot of depth and a lot of information and a lot you can do. Yeah. Yeah. The tomb. Yeah. Yeah, there 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 are some good uh you know, it's not as many as other eras, but there are some really good scenarios that are worth checking out for this setting. Absolutely. It does have some support. We should mention the author of this is Stefan Gasper. Okay. I I was looking at that but I didn't I wasn't sure of the pronunciation of Gasper cuz and I could be butchering it. Yeah. I mean, I'm saying it in a French way and I have no idea. I see that there's a an accent over the e that makes me think this is a, a French Yeah. French. Yeah. I I think Gasper is probably more ask- accurate than Gasbert. That just doesn't right. sound right. <laughs> if they're from Maine or New Orleans, it could very well be uh anglicized but who knows yeah. but yeah the reason i actually own this book isn't really because i didn't really have much interest in running dark ages but years ago i had some uh people that i knew here in sioux falls that were wanting to do like a fantasy game and i'm the only person willing to actually run an rpg and so i uh-huh. was like okay well i don't own D books and i really don't want to so right. we're going to do it in this system I really know, and I got the Dark Ages book on eBay for a really good price, and that was going uh-huh. to be my fantasy uh-huh. rules set between this and BRP, uh-huh. and then just not play up the mythos as strongly and make it more uh-huh. fantasy-based. Did, did you end up doing no. that? Did you guys no. play? Oh. I came up with a setting for it and everything that someday I might write up because I still like the setting I put together. But, uh, you know, it, it just never really happened. But it's a great source book for additional rules for mm-hmm. that kind of environment. Or even if you just have characters yeah, cool. that get stuck in the wilderness for an extended period of time, this is highly useful. Right. And I noticed there's even creatures that I haven't seen before, like... I thought I saw something called the Nameless Mist. Yeah, that looks that looks really cool. I mean, there's I mean, there's I'm I'm definitely gonna be mining uh, Dark Ages for for different creatures and and uh, ideas for this because I think I, I'm I'm intrigued. Like I said, I I love the thought of all these different settings that that Cthulhu has you know got a little stakehold in, like Gaslight, like Dark Ages, yeah. like Invictus. Um, it's just, you know, so hard to, <laughs> I find it so difficult to actually find the time to, to, to get a game in on, in these different, uh, environments because 
the twenties is just so classical and popular mm-hmm. and befits the, uh, befits the source material so well. Yeah. Uh, but I, I still love the idea of the mythos in all these other eras as well. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. I'd love to get a, uh, I'm glad the Viking thing will come out for everyone eventually and backers in the fall. Um, but, uh, I'd like to get more, uh, actual plays out because I think, there is a bit of a barrier to entry. I think all of us are expressing a kind of reluctance to dive into a setting like this that seems a little foreign and, yeah. you know, it's almost like, you know what I mean? The, the, who's really invested in the era to make it really come alive. And we're right, acknowledging right. that we're not necessarily the, that the right people for the job. Well, I like, I would like to try, you know, and then, and, and I'm okay with failing. Yeah. <laughs> I know I'm not. I'm just not that into it to be a keeper for the era because I know I wouldn't do it right. Like I said, it would wind Mm. up being more or more army of darkness. I mean, which sounds not so bad, man. Yeah, true. (laughs) Yeah. Like, yeah, that's, that's, you're not, you're failing to, uh, dissuade. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'll run my, uh, you know, really terrible crusades, um, you know, depressing festival and you can run your army of darkness. And so we'll have a couple of flavors out. (laughs) Yeah. We want to hear from our listeners. We got lots of different ways for you to reach out to us. Our main contact email address is feedback at mu-podcast.com. We also have a Twitter account at mu underscore podcast, and you can join our IRC channel on the feedback page of the website. We have a Providence, Rhode Island voicemail number. It's area code 401-400-MUP. That's 401-400-0687. Or you can use the SpeakPipe link located on the website. Ask us a question, leave us a line, or say who you are, and I'm enrolled at the Miskatonic University Podcast. And give us a hearty Go Pods for our home team, the Fighting Cephalopods. Our website is mu-podcast.com, and you can find our show notes for this episode at mu-podcast.com slash 61. That's the number, 61. Our forums are at mu-podcast.com forward slash campus. Come and join the community and be part of the conversations. Thank you for joining us for another episode. Class is dismissed. The Call of Cthulhu role-playing game is property of Chaosium, Inc. The written works of H.P. Lovecraft are held in the United States public domain. All other works mentioned in this podcast are the property of their respective owners. Original content of this show is copyright of the Miskatonic University podcast under a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial share-alike license. And for the main topic, we're going to get all medieval on your ass. Am I allowed to say that?